I love how uh, Lisa said in that video, she said, I want to be a bright, bright light that says Jesus loves you. Right? And that's our desire as Christians. That's our desire as people in this church. We want to let the light of Christ shine through us uh, in a very dark world where people need to know that they are loved by God and they, they are loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that line, that statement about letting the light shine through us, you know, that is, um, that's a perfect lead-in to today's sermon. Uh, we're kicking off a new sermon series today that's going to take us right up to Christmas, and it's called True Light. And this whole four-week sermon series is going to be based out of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And in that passage, uh, Jesus is referred to as light seven different times. And in verse 9, he's specifically called the true light. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up right now to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, that's where we're going to be today. Um, as you're turning there, let me just reiterate that it's a, a blessing to worship with each and every one of you every Sunday. It's a blessing to worship with you this morning, um, whether you're here in person, or whether you're over at Maine, or whether you're joining us online. We're so glad that we can worship together today. We want to be a church that exists to help people know Christ and to make him known. And uh, like Phil mentioned, it's especially a, a blessing when we can have our elementary age students in with us today. I love it when we do this. We want to be a church that makes Christ known generationally, where the older generation teaches and helps the younger generation know the Lord. And so I'm grateful that our kids are in with us. Um, but if you're new with us, um, first of all, I remember before this service started, I was looking around and I saw a bunch of faces of people that I don't think I've met yet. So if you're here and you're new and you have a minute to stay afterwards after the service and just say hi to me, I'd love to meet you. But you do need to know if you're new that we are right in the midst of a campaign that we're calling Make Him Known. And so for several weeks, we've been casting vision, new vision for the church. We've asked the church to financially commit to that vision. And so as a reminder, those of you who had made a financial commitment to make him known, just a, a reminder that next Sunday is our first big give Sunday. And so uh, we're asking you to think about your commitment and then give as much of that as you can next Sunday. Pray about it. Ask the Lord how much he wants you to give. We're not going to set limits or recommendations. We just say, you know, what we recommend is that you pray and ask the Lord to lead you. So join us this Sunday, as Phil mentioned, um, or this uh, Wednesday, December 1st, for our day of prayer and fasting, and then come next Sunday. And I uh, wonder if next Sunday might be the biggest offering in UBC's history. We'll see what happens. Let's see what the Lord does. Um, as we get into John chapter 1, we're going to look at these first five verses, and you know we're going to be spending four or five sermons here in John chapter one, so it's important for us to remember the background of this letter. Um, this letter is called the Gospel of John because it was written by a man named John. This was not John the Baptist, right? This was John the Apostle. Uh, this is one of Jesus' closest disciples closest disciples. When we talk about Peter, James, and John, the kind of the inner circle that went with Jesus, uh, this is the John of Peter, James, and John. He, this inner circle of friends that Jesus took with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, this inner circle of friends that Jesus took with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed the night before he was crucified. This same um, John is the brother of James, James and John, or if you remember, Jesus called them um, Bo and Jerry's, uh, the sons of thunder, right, which is a great name. I wish somebody would call me and fill that. Um, you know, Jesus, uh, this, this is the John that laid his head on Jesus' chest uh, during the Last Supper. 
This is the same John who, when Jesus, right before he died, he looked at his mother Mary and he said, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Think about that. Jesus was giving John the responsibility of caring for his own mother. I mean, this, that's how close Jesus and John were. So John had a nearness to Jesus that really none of the other disciples had. So when we read this letter, guys, whenever we read any part of the book of John, what we're reading is a letter that was written by one of Jesus' best friends, which is amazing to think about. Now, what's the purpose of this letter? We don't have to guess. We don't have to surmise like why John wrote this letter. He tells us exactly why he wrote it. We're reading the beginning of the letter today in John 1, but when you get to the end of the letter in John chapter 20, John tells us why he wrote it. He says, at John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. All right, so John is writing this letter to persuade people like you and me and the readers of his day to believe in who Jesus really is. He says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, which by the way, if you're new to the church, like let's remember Christ is not Jesus's last name, right? Jesus is the Christ. It's a title for him. Jesus is, the word Christ means Messiah, right? Jesus is the Messiah, the one sent from God. John wants his readers to believe that Jesus is the son of God. And that when you believe the truth about who Jesus, then you find life in his name. So let me be very clear with you. Like, John's gospel is different than the other gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written as what we call synoptic gospels. They give us kind of a synopsis of Jesus' life um, and his ministry. They kind of present things, generally speaking, in a chronological order. John's purpose in writing his gospel isn't necessarily to give us a chronological order of things. His purpose is to present doctrinal truths about Jesus. And when you believe these truths, these doctrines, these theological truths about Christ, when you believe rightly about Jesus, you'll have life in his name. And so my goal for today is that I, I want the same thing for you that John wanted for his readers. I want you to believe the truth about who Jesus really is and that when you believe it, you'll have life in his name. So this is gonna be a doctrinal sermon. Uh, This is gonna be really a doctrinal sermon series for the next few weeks. And I know that some people kind of struggle with doctrinal sermons and doctrinal sermon series. And and in fact, just last Sunday, I had somebody pull me aside and they said, you know, like, um, I struggle with, you know, these kind of theological-based sermons. I I need practical Christian living. And I really get that. Like, some people come to church and they have different expectations from sermons. Some people want sermons that touch the emotions of their heart. Some people want sermons and they say, look, tell me what to do. I need to know how to live. But I I do want you to know, this sermon series is going to mainly be a doctrinal series that certainly has practical implications for us. So here's how I'm asking for you to think about this sermon today. John Piper, as you guys know, a pastor that I greatly admire, you know, he, um, he talks about doctrine this way. He says, imagine a diamond, a perfect diamond. It's beautiful. And when, when light hits that diamond, it shines and it sparkles. Well, you've heard me say this before, but what makes the diamond sparkle? It's the facets that are inside the diamond. Its facets all work together to reflect and refract light so that it sparkles and, and shines. 
The facets themselves are not the light, but the facets are what make the light sparkle. Here's why I'm telling you all that. Here's the truth. Jesus himself is the light of the Christian life. Doctrinal truths are like facets. They are not Jesus, but doctrinal truths about Jesus make him shine. And we want the light of Jesus to shine in our church, don't we? We want the light of Jesus to shine in our homes. We want the light of Jesus to shine in our hearts. So let's take in the doctrinal truths about Jesus and ask him to make his light shine brightly in us and through us today. Here's the big idea that I want you to take home from this message today. Simply stated is this. The more you embrace the truth about Christ, the brighter he will shine to you at Christmas. The more you embrace the truth about Christ, the brighter he will shine to you this Christmas. That's what I want you to leave here. That was really what I hope you embrace as we go through this whole sermon series. So let's read our text today and um, we'll dig into it uh, section by section. John chapter one, verses one through five. God's word reads this way. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. As we look at this text, I want to do with you today what John was doing for his readers there. I, I want to convey the truths about Jesus rightly so that you believe the truths about Jesus Rightly, We're just going to walk through our five verses. I want to show you three precious truths about Jesus that John was teaching and I want to teach to you today. And then at the end, I want to ask you one question and I hope that you will believe and have life in Jesus' name. All right? So three things. The light of Jesus shines brightly when we see three things. First of all, when we see his divinity. The light of Christ shines brightly when we see, first of all, his divinity. In John chapter one, verse one and two, it says this. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, right away, we need to call out the obvious here. Um, you'll see that the phrase, the word, is used repeatedly here. Um, it's normal and you know, kind of like important that we ask the question, what does John mean when he says the word? Who is he referring to when he talks about the word? Well, if you drop down in this chapter down to verse 14, John 1 verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, right? So we know we're talking about a person, glory as the only son from the father, right? The son from the father. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus. So the phrase the word is a reference to Jesus. And, you know, some of you might be like, well, why didn't John just say, you know, in the beginning was Jesus and, you know, Jesus was with God and Jesus was God? Why didn't he just say it that way? There are many reasons for that. There are really good reasons for why John refers to Jesus as the word. And uh, I could probably talk, lecture about it for like 10 minutes, but I'll just say this so I don't bore you with philosophy and stuff. But like, if you want to talk about it after the sermon, just ask me, okay? So we'll just go there. Um, but it's important that we know that John is referring to Jesus as the word. Now, what does John want us to see about Jesus the word? In verse one, he says, in the beginning 
was the word. And in verse two, he says, he was in the beginning with God. Now, what does it mean? Why is John using this phrase repeatedly, in the beginning? Here's what John wants us to understand. Jesus did not come into existence. Jesus has always existed. Jesus did not come into existence. Jesus has always existed. The phrase, in the beginning, is a very clear and obvious reference back to Genesis chapter one, verse one, where the scripture says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here's what John is saying. John is saying that when God created the world, the word, Jesus, already existed. He existed before creation. Anybody have a mama who ever said to you something like this? Hey, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it, right? Sometimes my wife, Rachel, you know, is asserting her authority over our children and she'll say to them, you came from me, right? While that may be true about our, you know, moms and their kids, that's not true about Jesus. Jesus did not come into existence. He's an uncreated one. He has eternally existed. Kind of hard to understand, right? Hard to think about, especially for the children in the room, right? Like my kids ask me about this all the time. Where did God come from? It's hard for us because in our minds, the way we think about things is there was a day where something did not exist and then it existed and then it stops existing, right? So we always have this compare and contrast going on. But there's, so there's never a time when something, you know, um, eternal did not exist, right? Like, that's, uh, that's kind of the way our brains work. John wants us to believe that Jesus did not come into existence, but that he always existed. But he wants us to see something even deeper than that. He wants us to see that Jesus has always existed as God with God. Isn't that what he says here in verse one? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So what's John getting at here? If I could just kind of put it in a succinct way that helps us understand, here's what John is saying. John is saying that Jesus is entirely God, but he's not the entirety of God. Are you guys with me? Jesus is not the entirety of God, but he is entirely God. This is all tying into the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, where we believe that there is one God who exists in three persons, which again, another complex concept for us to understand. And uh, one thing that really helped me kind of put a word picture, a picture to the idea of the Trinity um, is what is now called uh, the Trinity Triangle or the Trinity Shield. Um, when uh, the Nicene Creed was being developed, you know, in the early church history, there were early church fathers like Athanasius who really defended the doctrine of the Trinity, and this Trinity shield uh, is really indicative of what their belief looks like. And this is the orthodox view of how we are to really understand God, that God exists as one in three persons. The Father is God, but the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Spirit is God, but he is not the Father or the Son. The Son is God, but he is not the Father or the Spirit. This is, when we understand God this way, this is how Jesus can be God, but also be with God, which is what John 1.1 is talking about. He is entirely God, but he is not the entirety of God. So we affirm in this church the doctrine of the Trinity, it's a mystery, it can't be perfectly explained, even if we try to compare it to 
Uh, you know, uh, uh, an egg or water and its three forms or a clover and its leaves, you know. Like, we try to put all these word pictures on it and none of them really perfectly explain it because it can't be easily and perfectly explained. It's a mystery. But here's what I'll tell you. If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you're born again, the Holy Spirit will be affirming in your heart, this is true. This is true. One God, three persons. The light of Jesus shines when we see his divinity. And John wants us to see the divinity of Christ. There's a second facet that John wants to see about Jesus, the light, and that is that the light shines when we see Christ's vitality. Not just when we see his divinity, but when we see his vitality. John chapter one, verse three and four. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So John here is emphasizing Jesus' work in creation. He says, all things were made through him. That phrase made through in the original Greek language of scripture is the phrase, dia," And it means to cause something to exist, to bring it about, to, to be created through an agent. And the scripture is saying that everything that was made and created was made and created by Christ. So John is emphasizing Jesus' creative work, his ability to bring life. The, two, the New Testament makes it clear that all things that were created have their existence through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, whether visible and invisible, which by the way, the him here is a reference to Christ, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Guys, all created things have their origins in Christ. And I get it, like modern science, they're not gonna approve this. They're gonna argue with us tooth and nail. Like, they, you know, this is not something that they welcome and, and accept in their school of thought. But here's the thing. I was taught this as a, as a little kid and it just sticks with me till now, modern scientists have to give an, an answer for where original matter came from. Okay, well, there's this earth. Well, where did that come from? From some gases that exploded. Well, where did the gases come from? Well, from flying around in outer space. Okay, great. Well, where did space come from? Like you just press back, where did matter come from? And eventually, they have to have an answer. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God has given us the scripture which actually gives us an answer. Right? That the world in which we live and exist, it came from God. You know, um, what this means for me and you guys is that none of us are an accident. If you believe in that, that God didn't create the world and all this just kind of came about by chance, then that means you're an accident. But if you believe that God creates all things on purpose with a purpose, then you can know this. Your life's not an accident. Your life is not meaningless. God gave you life for a reason. And you're here for a purpose. The truths about Christ as creator are so important, right? They're, they, they're not just important because of like the truth statement, like 
Christ is creator, but the implications of that statement and the things that are attached to it, which is, makes me so very thankful that our church like values the doctrinal teaching of creation and the tangential topics attached to it. I'm very grateful for people like Tim West and Kevin Hadsell who lead a, a group in our church called Creation Apologetics. And they often teach a class, you know, in our classes schedule where they're teaching about things that are issues that are related to creation, which, by the way, they're going to be teaching one, like, starting next Sunday, December 5th, that's going to be called, um, what's the name of this, Christianity and Modern Sexuality. And they're going to talk about how God's design in Genesis, man and woman, male and female, how that has major implications for our modern culture today and all the uh, sexuality issues that we find ourselves facing. So if that hits home for you or strikes a chord with you or maybe is very apropos for your family, consider signing up for that class on our classes page on our website. But I'm just mentioning all this to say, John wants us to understand Jesus as creator, his involvement in creation. That's why he says what he does in verse four. Verse four, John says, in him was life. In him was life. Now, in the Greek language, there's two words for our English word life. There's the Greek word uh, bios and also the other Greek word zoe. Bios is where we get our idea of biology, right? Things that are physically alive, biological life. Zoe has to do with something deeper. It has to do with vitality and power and spiritual essence, Right? And so John uses the word zoe here. In, he, in him, in Jesus, John says, is life, power, vitality, spiritual essence. In other words, if you have Jesus, you have the life of Jesus, you have something far more than mere physical existence. You have spiritual vi- vitality, meaning, purpose. John goes on to say this, in him, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was the light of men. What does that mean that the life was the light of men? Greek language, again, helps us out here uh, understanding what John is saying. The Greek word for light is the word phos. It's where we get our idea of photo or photos. I was thinking this past week about the way that light and life interwork together, and it reminded me of when I was in elementary school and we got taught about photosynthesis. And I'm not going to give a photosynthesis lecture. But um, what do we learn about in photosynthesis? We learn that plants turn light into energy, right? Light and life work together. Light gives life. If the world doesn't have sunlight, then what do you have? You just have a cold, dark, physically dead world. And here's what, what the scripture's saying. If a person doesn't have Jesus, you just have a cold, dark, spiritually dead person. Just as the world needs the S-U-N for life, right? People like us, we need the S-O-N for life. We need a spiritual photosynthesis to occur within our lives, right? When a man has Jesus, he has life because in Jesus is the life and the light of men. Only by Jesus do we move from bios to zoe. Only by Jesus do we move from physical existence to real spiritual power and vitality, So the light of Jesus shines brightly when we see not just his divinity, but also his vitality. And in verse five, John gives us the third facet that he wants us to see today about Jesus, the light. Jesus shines, the Christ shines when we see Christ's victory. 
when we see his victory. Not just his divinity, not just his vitality, but also his victory. Verse five says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. Think about the way that light overcomes the darkness, right? Darkness is totally powerless against light. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. I, I remember when I was um, young, I don't remember, ele- elementary school, my grandparents took me and my brother on a road trip and they picked us up and, you know, we stopped at different places and one of the places we stopped was one on one of those like cave tours, cavern tours. And I remember going through there with my grandparents and we came to this point as we kind of explored down in the cave where the tour guide said, all right, you know, um, we're gonna turn the lights out in a minute and just a warning, you're not gonna be able to see anything, including your hand in front of your face. And I remember thinking as a kid, like, okay, we'll see. Well, then they shut the lights off, right? And I put my hand in front of my face and there was no seeing it. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the people beside me. I couldn't tell what was going on. And I remember being scared. Right? And I remember after a little short time, the tour guide said, all right, now I'm about to light a match. Watch, watch what happens. And he struck a match. And all of a sudden, what happened? Light everywhere. The darkness was gone. Right? The darkness cannot overcome the light. It's powerless against the light. Guys, likewise, the darkness of sin and Satan is powerless against the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world full of darkness, Right? And Jesus, the light, came into our darkness. The darkness tried to overcome him. Right? The darkness had, had him rejected by his friends and his family. The, 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 the darkness had him betrayed by some of his disciples. The darkness had him falsely accused. The dar- darkness had him endure a mistrial. The darkness had him whipped with a cat of nine tails. The darkness had him hung on a cross with nails in his hands and feet. The darkness put a spear in his side. The darkness had him hang on the cross, breathe a last breath. The darkness even put uh, uh, the lights out on the earth for a few hours, and ultimately the darkness surrounded Jesus in a tomb for three days. But the darkness could not overcome him. And like we sing in our church, his buried body began to breathe, and his heart began to beat And the gravestone began to roll and light burst through the darkness and the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The darkness could not overcome him. You wanna see the light of Jesus? You wanna see him shine? Remember his divinity, remember his vitality, and you remember his victory. Remember his victory. So let me close by asking you a question today. One question for you. Have you seen the light? Have you seen the light? I know it's kind of a cliche phrase that we use all the time. We just kind of throw it around. And, but I mean it in the truest, most sincere, most authentic sense today. Have you, see, <clears throat> have you seen the light of Christ? Have you seen the light of Christ? Have you seen the truth about who he really is? Have you come to believe the truth of scripture, the truth claims of Christianity? I love how C.S. Lewis said this in his book, The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Have you seen who Jesus is? Have you seen the truth of Christianity? When you see him for who he is, it's not just that you see him. You see the purpose of everything else. 
You see who you are. You see why you're here. You see how you got here. You see where we're going. We see what the problem is in the world. We see what the solution is for sinful man. You see the purpose and the meaning of life. You have Zoe life through Jesus. Have you seen the life? Have you seen the light? I wonder sometimes, you know, why, why can't people see Jesus for who he really is? And as we go in the next couple weeks in this sermon series, we're gonna get into that a little bit more about why people don't see Jesus for who he is. Why would the world kill Jesus? Why would our culture today be adamantly opposed to Jesus? Why would some of you in this room perhaps be indifferent about Jesus? Well, the answer is, it's for the same reason that a human being sometimes can't perceive light. It's because they're blind. They're blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that the God of this world, a reference to Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can't see it. They're blinded. So what do we need? We need to have our spiritual eyes open. Why did the disciples believe in Jesus? Why did John believe in Jesus? Because God opened his eyes. Why would you and I ever come to Jesus? Because God gave blind people, spiritually blind people like you and me, sight. Has God given you sight? Maybe he wants to give you sight today. Maybe he wants you to see Jesus for who he really is. Have you seen the light? Is Jesus shining to you this Christmas? Have you seen the facets of who he is, the divinity, the vitality, the victory of Christ? Here's the thing. This this makes an impact on the way we worship at Christmas. If you believe in his divinity, then you'll know this. The baby in the manger wasn't just the son of God. He was God the son. Deity. God in flesh. So when we sing silent night, holy light, Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. You get what that song is saying? It's an expression that when the baby was born in the manger, he was already Lord, right? Jesus didn't become Lord. He existed from, he, as God from eternity past. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Think you can sing that with some meaning this Christmas? If you believe in his vitality, then you'll know that Jesus didn't come here to die. He didn't come here just to give up his life. He came to also be your life. And it'll mean something to you when we sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing and we sing words like, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. S-U-N, Son of Righteousness, which is a a fulfillment of the, the prophecy in the book of Malachi. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. You believe in the vitality of Jesus? The life-giving power of Jesus? You'll sing differently this Christmas. If you believe in the victory of Christ, then you'll know that the Jesus who came powerlessly in a manger rose powerfully from the grave, and he's gonna come again in power and glory once again, and we can sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her what? King. Power, victory belongs to Jesus. Have you seen the light? The more you embrace the truth about Christ, the brighter he will shine to you this Christmas. May God give us eyes to see.
Father, we stop right now and we say that apart from your miraculous work in our life, we will be spiritually blind. So Lord, open our eyes. For those of us whose eyes have been opened to see the, the light of the glory of the gospel in the, faith, uh, in the face of Jesus Christ, we say thank you, Lord. Thank you for opening our eyes. We would be spiritually blind men without you. Now, Lord, pray that you would keep our eyes wide open to who you are, that we would see the truths of your divinity, of your vitality, of your victory, and that we would worship you this Christmas with eyes wide open. And Lord, for people who are here today who perhaps are walking in spiritual darkness, Lord, maybe today you wanna open their eyes. Maybe today, Lord, you would open their eyes and open their heart, and today would be the day that you let them see who Christ really is. Lord, I pray that we would be a church who makes Christ known, who knows Christ truly and makes him known for who he truly is. Lord, I pray that you would do it for those in this room who are adults, for those who are children, that there would be generations who grow up and know and affirm and believe and worship because of the truth of Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.